Welcome to Movies Are Light. Who better to break down gender dynamics in the New York City workplace in the 80s than two white males who were born in Texas in the 80s? I'm your host, Nathan Chandler, and today I'm welcoming in the co-host of the Second Best Picture podcast and returning guest, Brandon McMahon, to talk about the number 29 film on the 50 best rom-coms list, Working Girl. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, sir. Yeah. Uh, so before we jump into today's movie, uh, I, I, we've mentioned the podcast before, but uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, second Best Picture, what we do is we take a given year when films come out and we dissect everything that's nominated for Best Picture in that year. And then um, we talk about you know what the Academy got right, what it got wrong, and what it missed entirely. And then at the end of that year, we spin it all into one uh, Oscar episode where we really just eviscerate their decisions <laughs> and then kind of vote on what we did. Um, it is important, I always like to tell people, when I say a year, it's like films that came out in 2001 but then the award ceremony would have been the 2002 when it aired because we had a couple people that had a little confused in the beginning. So, but it's right. been a blast. I've had a great time. Yeah. Well, personally, my favorite episode was when you did a little offshoot and you cover the 1994 hit film uh, Speed. That that I really think that episode did really you? Good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we we had a hell of a guest. <laughs> we we had movies our life own Nathan Chandler there to uh, walk us through. The trials and tribulations of a runaway bus in LA and at an airport. And I thought it was a big success. So thanks for showing up, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no, that was fun. And uh, honestly, I'm not just saying this because I know you too. I, I really enjoy the podcast and it's become my Monday morning uh, jogging podcast. <laughs> uh, playlist to listen to and it's it's really great even if you haven't seen uh some of the best picture nominees i i think you you're too your banter is uh great so anyway i highly recommend it so well um, i appreciate it sir and back at you i i feel like i've learned a lot about not only you but all your guests you guys come on and talk about stuff i'm like i know that that's cool so yeah i, I love yours too <laughs> Well, thanks, man. Well, uh, let's tease up our hair and switch out our jogging shoes for pumps to discuss mm -hmm. the 1988 film Working Girl. In the land of opportunity. They're not going to give you no shot test. They're going to shoot you. Where dreams are won and lost. Spray me down? Sorry. Well, I can't very well walk around my own party clinging. Someone's about to get what she deserves. I know I'm asking an awful lot, Tess, but I... I don't know what else to do. I need you to take over. Working Girl is an American romantic comedy drama film directed by Mike Nichols, written by Kevin Wade and starring Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, and Melanie Griffith. Its plot follows an ambitious secretary from Staten Island who takes over her new boss's role while the boss is laid up with a broken leg. The secretary, who has been going to business night school, pitches a profitable idea only to have the boss attempt to take credit. The film was met with critical acclaim and was a major box office success, grossing a worldwide total of $103 million. Working Girl was nominated for six, six Brandon, Academy Awards in 1989, including Best Picture, Best Director for Nichols, and Best Actress for Griffith, while both Weaver and Joan Cusack were nominated for Best Supporting Actress. The film also won four Golden Globe Awards from six nominations in 1989, including Best Motion Picture for a Musical Comedy, Best Actress for Griffith, and Best Supporting Actress for Sigourney Weaver. So before we go into whether or not we agree with all the award recognitions there, um, it, I, I want to note that we had talked about this film before, and we both hadn't seen this film. And I had no idea what this movie was about. 
um, as much as I know about movies and everything, this is just one that for whatever reason, I, I just didn't know anything about it. What about you? Um, I, I might've misled you a little bit. I had not seen this until about two years ago. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was, I was completely novice. Honestly, I thought from the title, I thought it was kind of like a pretty woman wannabe. I'm glad you, you know? said that. I, you and know, now, does that make me dense? I don't know. Maybe no, I, I, I totally, I don't know why I thought this movie had to deal with the prostitute making it into the business world. Were you as upset as I was that there was less <laughs> prostitution than you had signed on originally for? <laughs> I, I won't lie, no. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk. We'll talk about it kind of a little bit. I don't know if, like, I know I've probably seen a trailer at some point, and mm -hmm. I don't know. And I'm guessing there was probably a shot of Melanie Griffith in her underwear, and so that's why you know, there are a lot of shots of in this movie. So I don't know if that's where I made that like correlation, but when the opening credits opened and it was a Mike Nichols film, I was like, Oh, what? I had no, I had no idea because I haven't seen everything he's done, but I'm a huge fan of the graduate. Uh, Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is an amazing movie. I mean, he's made up a lot of the fabric of America cin cinema. So I was, uh, I was even surprised by that. I didn't know he had directed this film. Mm -hmm. That was a surprise when I first saw it too. I actually, I celebrate his later stuff. I love primary colors, which was him. And um, there was something else he did later in life. I was like, Hey, look at that. Mike Nichols going strong still. Um, yeah. I had seen this film made the circuit of network TV okay. in the, the late nineties, early two thousands. And I'd always seen that iconic shot of um, them kissing on the steps at the, oh, okay. at the, at the, like the, the foyer of the, of the one office. And so I, I, I don't know. This is on your list of rom-coms. I do you think this is a rom-com that you've seen it now? I don't think it has lots of laughs. <laughs> so, I think I think there's little like little moments uh, that might kind of garner a chuckle, but I I didn't I think, really see it as that. Yeah, I think almost every scene Joan Cusack is in is like yes. just teed up. Like they they have her come in to lighten the mood. This movie, of course, it, it, it they filmed in '87. It came out in '88. It is shockingly rough, like for yeah. a rom-com status. Tess McGill, not an easy life she's got going. And when we join her <laughs> on that ferry, that's as good as it's going to get for a while. That cupcake <laughs> with a couple candles in it, like we got a rough hour to go for for Tessa's journey. To be honest, she just kind of gets crapped on. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, she she really does. And so another thing that I was shocked by uh, when doing research for this, because I didn't look before I started the movie, but when I saw that it was nominated for all the awards <laughs> that it would been nominated for, I so okay, I I think this is a good movie. Uh, I I personally didn't feel like it was a great movie. So seeing like all the recognition it got really surprised me. Like, how do you feel about that statement? <laughs> um, it's a good question because it's you go into like product of its time. Yes. Because this is you know we see a lot of underdog turning the tables stuff now that's a very common trope we see in cinema it's i mean it's right up there with fish out of water it's right up there with other things this and i would go with trading places really mm -hmm. for like they pushed i mean the 80s were all about economics and money and everything mm -hmm. else and excess and all that stuff 
this was one of those movies that really tapped that vein along with the gender dynamic of Tess having to turn the tables in order to get ahead in the world that she, like she was just being marginalized left and right in. Yes. So I understand. Uh, I mean, it also, you know, my introduction to this film, it's my wife's like third, second or third favorite film. Like, okay. She's like, you've never seen working girl. We have to watch it. Um, so I, I get, I, I get the accolades, maybe not, um, this is going to sound rough. I get best director because there were some things they did with that camera that I know they had to did do. I know they had to do practical. Like mm -hmm. there was no drones or CGI in this film. Mm -hmm. They got a helicopter to fly around Long Island, and that's pretty cool. Um, I'll cut you off for a second. I did also to touch on that. Even the opening ferry scene. Like, yes, that's a bunch of people on a ferry crossing. I guess the Hudson. Uh, I th yeah. think so. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not up to date on my, you know, <laughs> yeah. maritime geography of, of New York and whatnot. But um, I, I, I do think it was worthy of best picture. And I do think it was worthy of best director. I'm a little sketchy on the Melanie Griffith performance. I agree. Um, she's kind of the blank slate that this world has to bounce off of. Like, <laughs> you know, and I mean, we all, I mean, it's been well documented. I don't know if you did any research on it. I mean, she was suffering from about two or three different addictions during filming mm -hmm. and whatnot. And it shows it really, I mean, unfortunately it does. It does. Um, yeah. there, there are times when she needs to be the smartest person in the room and she's barely in the room. So that's problematic. Um, I was talking to Kristen about this cause we watched it for this podcast as well. There's, I can't remember the one scene she's, oh, the scene when she's, it's, it's toward the end. And I'm sorry, I'm jumping way ahead, no, no, spoiler no. words and everything like that. But when she looks at uh, Sigourney Reaver and she's like, stop lying. Unfortunately, her voice is high anyway. <laughs> and when she's stressed, it goes an octave higher. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a child talking to an adult. And I know they're playing it because Tess is true, but yet not refined. Whereas Catherine is all polished, but absolute lies and, 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 mm -hmm. and, you know, empty and hollow, but it grated on me after a while. I was like, yes. Oh, can we, can we have her stop handling the exposition scene? You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, that's probably the one I bump into more. And yeah. I would say, um, did Sigourney Weaver get nominated to uh, an Academy uh, Award? Yes. For she got nominated best supporting actress. Yeah. I find that one a little specious as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's a little bit of stunt nominating, which I think the Academy does sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause no. she's not really, I mean, she's, she's barely in it to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. I mean, the plot necessitates that, but still, but you know, but fun, she's a blast and she, she knows exactly what she's doing and working with. Mm -hmm. And so she is just playing it up to the hill mm -hmm. in almost every scene she's in. Oh so. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, once again, uh, I was going in with uh, a clean slate with this, uh, I haven't seen Melanie Griffith in a lot of things, even, even looking at, even though she's worked for a really long time, she's just an actress I've never really seen very much. And so watching this movie, I, I, I was just not connecting to her very much. And then when doing research about this movie, after I watched it and seeing those substance abuse uh, issues that she had and that, I mean, she's, admitted to and all that i mean they had production delays uh because mm -hmm. of it um it completely made sense because it does feel like someone's in the room physically but not, yeah not especially there in a lot and so yeah that's kind of uh I, it totally made sense uh when i when i read that and um yeah i'm with you as far as the recognition i, I what i did appreciate about this movie was that um 
you know, it, it it's a goofy premise, like you had mentioned, like kind of fish out of water, like someone takes over as the boss, and you know, and it sometimes like when Sigourney Weaver flies off the snow hill, and you know, it gets a little kind of comic-y that way sometimes, but for the most part, it's a movie that's pretty grounded in reality. Cause you know, it, it I, what I appreciated about it was that it didn't go into these like crazy wackadoo situations. They did a little yeah. bit, they did a little bit with Joan Cusack, but you know, the, especially during the late eighties, I think the Academy did recognize these type of films of like, Oh, this movie has kind of a silly premise, but it's trying to speak on, you know, relevant issues. So I can understand, you know, uh, why I got the recognition at the time. It is a little hard though, just because, and I had to keep in mind, like you had mentioned earlier, it, you know, of where the world was at when this was made, mm-hmm. um, because I do think it's interesting. It's all about this female empowerment, but I kind of touched it on earlier, but I mean, they sure don't mind objectifying <laughs> these women. Uh, and, and they do it to each other too. Like Joan yeah. Cusack's gut check moment is you need to stop lying. Also, you need to go back to your abusive boyfriend back from the neighborhood. What's wrong with you, Tess? Yeah. And I yeah. was sitting there watching it and be like, I don't know if Sin's a good friend or not. Like, yeah, that, yeah. that's bad advice. Alec Baldwin's great in this, but he's a horror. Like, that character of Mick is a terrible person. Terrible. And they keep throwing it at her face. Like, you should give him another chance. You got, he's really hurting. You know, he's really, I'm like, she walked into actual coitus and the film shows us because it's the eighties. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I think it's time to change your, change your address form at this point of your life too, Tess. Go ahead and run. You're, you're, that's a good move on your part, but yes, I agree with you. Yeah. So yeah, it just, you know, it, it was one of those things watching this. It was like, yep, this was directed by a white male, <laughs> you know, it was written by a male, you know, talking about these film, you know, female uh, issues, but mm-hmm. Uh, but I can, I can totally see, I mean, it's very, uh, it's inspirational of a sort of like not being, you know, satisfied with what, you know, what life has given you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say this because I used to bump into, um, Tess is all about being true and honest, except her whole premise of the plot is a lie. She takes over, you know, she doesn't take over Sigourney Weaver's identity, but she passes herself off as something she's not in order to necessitate the plot. This viewing, I, I was, I came back to give her a much wider berth because this is where, you know, I said that the film kind of craps on her for the first hour. Tess doesn't break rules until the job, the man, the life, like three things all happen in a row just to dump on her. Mm-hmm. And she's, I mean, and at this point she's been abused. And so she's like, I have no other option. So I'm going to take this crazy chance or whatever like that. Yeah. And I, I probably missed that the first viewing this mm-hmm. one. I'm like, okay, she's been pushed to the outer limits. She has, I mean, she's done all this work and done nothing to show for it. When she talks about it with send, it's a little, I kind of, it bounces off me. And so I'm like, well, that's just your justification for lying this viewing i'm like oh yeah she really does like she has no other choice i get it this is the movie took its time I, i'll go with you now movie cool bring it on so <laughs> yeah and i think uh once again i, I keep on saying this but i i, I was touching on this one thing that <laughs> the opening credits i mean in itself kind of stand you know this movie is all about tests yet melanie griffith got gets third billing in this movie <laughs> 
mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Working Girl, starring Harrison Ford. Yep. <laughs> you know, Sigourney Weaver. And so, you know, it's just, yeah, it's kind of like watching it today in today's eyes. It, it seems a little unbalanced, but uh, I can see, I can easily see the strides, you know, it was trying to make. Sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, speaking of the opening credits, because I didn't know anything about this movie, I was like shocked by all the other people that were in it. I, I knew the, you know, the three main main ones for sure. Cause honestly, that's what the movie poster shows. Uh, yeah. But um, I had no idea Alec Baldwin was in this. I had no idea Joan Cusack was in it. I had no idea that uh, Kevin Spacey uh, is playing. Ooh, that Air- scene did not age well. <laughs> <laughs> that's a prescient piece of film right there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's method acting for the last 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like the uh, student that comes into class the first day and is it, you know, causes like trouble. And you're like, is the rest of the school year going to be like this? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's it. It's fun to see a very skinny Oliver Platt uh, in mm-hmm. this movie <laughs> as well. But um, I think you talk, we've talked about Melanie Griffith and a little bit about Sigourney Weaver, but how, how do you feel about Mr. Indiana Jones, Han Solo, Harrison Ford uh, in, in this role as Jack Trainer? I love it. I, I'm, it's, you know, he, he turned comedic later in his career. Yes. When he started yeah. getting a little too old to do the whip and the lightsabers and things like or the, 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 the laser guns and stuff. Uh, you know, he had a really good comedic flair because Jack is, once again, manipulative. He knows she's looking for him and he hides his identity. So he's doing, you know, he, he is a, he is doing what she's trying to, what she accuses him of trying to do. Yeah. But he ends up being a nice guy. He ends up um, being, I'm smart at business, but kind of dumb at relationships. And he leans into that. I've always said Han Solo, or sorry, uh, Indiana Jones is like my, one of my favorite characters of all time. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford can look like a doofus at the yes. drop of a hat. I know. Yeah. He has a very, his resting face of thinking yes. if it's not angry is very, Oh, wait a minute. Did I lose some? Is my stove on? Like he just, he kind of spaces out and his, he kind of looks dumb sometimes. Yes. He leans into it completely in this film. Mm-hmm. When they're talking business, he's like, the numbers got to add up and we got to do this. And there's 7 million, blah, 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 blah. When they're talking personal, he's like, well, why can't we have lunch? What's lunch? Do we eat? I like to eat. You know, he just, he kind of leans into it. And I, and I love to see it. I thought that he should have done more. Speaking of objectification, the famous <laughs> scene of him changing his shirt and then yeah. just accepting the applause. Right, yeah. Very few actors are going to pull that off to where you cheer along with, like, yeah, all right, that's funny. He pulls that scene off. I'll, yeah. I'll let that one go. He really does. Yeah. And that almost kind of took me aback a little bit. Watch it, that kind of resting face or whatever. Cause even at like some point at this movie, I kind of started going like, is he a handsome guy? And I, <laughs> and I, I, I don't mean that, that, you know, but kind of like, wait, what, you know, but then, you know, the scenes that you were talking about definitely plays up to, and it's still Harrison Ford, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, and, and he's definitely the bright light uh, to this movie, and it's fun. He, you know, now he's had a very uh, great career, so we've seen him in similar things like this now. But uh, it was easy for me, especially as someone who loved uh, Indiana Jones like you did, uh, uh, knowing that this was kind of you know a role that he was didn't normally play, and so mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a whole lot of fun to see. Have have you happened to see Shrinking on Apple TV Plus? 
Shrinking. No, I have not seen that. Jason Siegel's in it. But anyway, he, especially okay. at his older age, he, his character is not exactly like this character, but it's more like laid back, uh, mm -hmm. sensitive. He, he, I mean, he's so funny in it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins that Emmy uh, for yeah. his role in this show. And so, this is off of shrinking. This seemed like a natural, uh, natural bridge. But you know, obviously, with this being filmed in the eighties, it, it had to be kind of a. I'm sure when people saw the billing at first, they're like, "We love Harrison Ford, but can he do this?" You know. So yeah, but he he did that. Like he did Mosquito Coast. He did Witness. He did Regarding Henry. He would do the safe movie. Then he'd he'd stretch himself a little bit. To me, I was when I saw this couple years ago for the first time i was relieved because i saw six days seven nights and oh, okay. that's when they were yeah. trying to make harrison ford be chandler when she's like can't we fix it? he's like yeah we'll just glue it back up like whoa hey you don't have those chops you're you're a crusty old man you still look great for for a guy in his 60s but you don't have that delivery that's not you please please stop trying to do that so when i saw him very naturally just be funny without having the zippy one-liners i was very pleasantly surprised yeah 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 and i have to say uh so I, you you have a you have a little boy and i know he's still small like in the moment but you know as we get older it gets a little harder to carry your children to bed or whatnot him carrying Melanie Griffith up the stairs uh, to his apartment. I mean, I was I was utterly impressed. And he says he does three flights later on. He's like, I call, I carried you three flights. You know, they filmed that one time. And Harrison Ford's like, I'm the biggest damn name in this movie, Mike. We're not doing it again. Get a stunt double up here and film yeah. it from the you know that way. Yeah. But yeah, no, I did. I watched that and I was like. I also thought it was funny when he puts her in the chair and he starts having the conversation with her. I'm like, who are we? talking to jack he's out cold you know this and you're just kind of being weird at this point <laughs> very weird and uh also i'm glad that I, I was wondering because i you know i was very much new i was watching an 80s movie and you know her like the next morning they wake up in bed <laughs> she clearly doesn't have her dress on and mm -hmm. i'm glad they do eventually dress it because it was the 80s movies i was like i don't know if they, they will <laughs> like you know <laughs> I, I thought like is like oh yeah that's how all you know women sleep when they go to bed or whatever mm -hmm. and so um i'm glad that they did uh they did address it um so i, I don't know i i thought that I, I'm still a little iffy on his explanation a little bit, but like for the eighties, it was probably a more solid explanation than what you would get from like the Alec Baldwin character, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, no. They, and they, they play it as charming. Like, eh, I took off your dress. I might've peaked. Aren't I roguishly in grand? I'm like, Ooh, that crap don't fly today, buddy. This is not a, this is not something one does. That is, you are a bad dude. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I, I don't, and I, I still don't really quite get like to put somebody to bed of having to take their dress off, but you know, also, do you not own a couch? Like put put her in your bed and you go lay on a couch yes. like a real man, Jack. You're and then must you disrobe all the way down to your skivvies, buddy? Like uh, this is looking a little weird, man. Just saying, just you know. Once again, poor Tess just gets the crap dumped on her in every situation she's in. Yeah, and don't trust your friend about someone else's pharmacy cabinet either. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I have to ask you. I know you, 
this was like uh, you saw this again, but if you can remember from the first time you saw it, I, I knew something was going to happen with these three characters, like somehow. <laughs> but did you did you see that twist that he was actually in a relationship with the Sigourney Weaver character? Not at all. And okay. they play it so subtly. Yes. Like I, the big reveal of that scene is he's involved with someone else. She just happens to deduce that, holy crap, it's Catherine. You know, I thought what was going to happen, because you know that the big moment's all going to happen at the worst moment because it's a rom-com, you know, right, it's going to be yeah. that scene. Yeah. So I figured she would walk in just fresh from the Alps with her cast. Like when it got into the personal aspects of it being a double whammy, I was like, oh, okay, you're kind of in this. I'm impressed. I did not see this coming at all movie. I mean, maybe I should have. It should. I mean, sure. Some people are like, "What are you stupid?" Of course, it's it's he's with Catherine. Come on, but yeah, yeah. No, it it got me too. And I, as many movies as I've seen, uh, I'm really when I watch a movie, I'm not really looking for those sorts of things. So like, it, it mm -hmm. totally got. Once again, like, yeah, when it was the twist of like, not that he was, and it kind of made sense that he would maybe be involved with someone who's not so serious. But yeah, when it is Catherine, uh, I, I did think, I did think that played played well, and I actually mm -hmm. was legitimately thinking like, okay, how how she can get herself out of this mess because because it's not like super rom-coming in the like, oh, what am I going to do now? Like, mm -hmm. it's a little bit more grounded. I I really was like. Uh, how how is this gonna how is this gonna play out? But, yeah. yeah, totally. And I thought um, when Catherine's talking about I'm I have a fella and I'm expecting you know I've I've put myself out there. I figured that's just more Catherine build like telling Tess how wonderful she is because she does it the whole time. She's constantly yeah. like, look at me, learn from me, do what I do. I'm awesome. You're not. You can do better. And so when it became like you never know Jack is involved with anyone else until he mentions it. And also, I was kind of like, dude, really? Seriously? What? Do you, uh, once again, another guy crapping on tests. You know, I was, I was, I was a little upset with Jack at that moment. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. Yeah. You know, a a am I wrong for? I, I know Catherine's supposed to be the villain in this, uh, and and but I didn't necessarily like hate her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I do think she's definitely doing some things, but in some ways, I feel like she was coming off as, as a more decent boss than a lot of people normally do, but I might be wrong. That's the subterfuge though. Cause I had that yeah. same reaction because when you first meet her, she's like, it's a two way street. I'm here to help you. And you know, like she takes her idea for the dim sun. She talks to her at the party, like a equal, all that stuff. I had that same conversation with Kristen. I was like, I always thought at first Catherine was going to be it. And Kristen's like, yeah, dummy. She's setting her up. Like, you know, she, she's, she's, <laughs> She sees that Tess has an idea. She keeps placating her and just steals from her. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, had Catherine been like, Tess, I actually looked at your idea. I can think I like it. Let's work together on this. Would Tess have been okay with that? I don't know. But I mean, that's not the movie that they want to show us. No, you know, no. It's going to get a little zany there. Yeah. Well, we we live in a, even as cutthroat as business has always been, and certainly in New York City, and and certainly in the '80s, but. Now, more so now, like it's almost like somebody's raised to CEO level if they do crap on everybody. It's like yeah. we, we want the meanest person in the room. <laughs> so, yeah, watching this and watching succession, very different environments. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm thinking of. Very much. Um, so, I didn't think this was like the most quotable movie ever, but is there any kind of, and it's okay. If, 
not, but was there any quotes that stood out to you? Well, you know, I think that there, I mean, this is obviously from the male lens. Yes. I always, I never saw this movie, but I saw this in a commercial when she's, when she's like, well, maybe I'm just not that, in, or maybe I just don't like you. And he goes, mm. and the elevator closed, you know? Yes. That's a great line, but you have to be Harrison Ford in 1987 to pull that line off with that <laughs> level of confidence. I tried it many times in my single days, never worked once, just putting <laughs> it out there. Um, but that was also to me, him being silly. Like that was the <laughs> part that I was really vibing with that character. Yeah. Um, I think that there, I also like when, when old man Trask says, what did you say? And they both say bony ass, like Melody Griffin's proud of it. And Harrison Ford's like, we don't talk this way here. Or, and this is a simple misunderstanding and I, you cannot, I can, and I will now get your, what did you call it? Bony, bony ass. ass. Right. Bony ass out of my sight. <laughs> I think that's a fun scene. But there's not a like, uh, you know, show me the money in this mm, movie, to, in no. my opinion, personally. No. I don't know. Other people, I mean, like, I, that's going to be an interesting question when I ask Kristen if she feels that way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, the one of the only things I had written down was what you had just mentioned was <laughs> the fact that uh, Bony Ass was just the, like, Kind of seemed like the new put down, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have the history to know, you know, but that was kind of like, uh, I almost feel like if somebody said that to you now, I, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, oh, thank you. I would I be God bless this. you and thank you. It's like when I get carded these days. This is a nice little ex unexpected pick me up. I appreciate yeah. that. Yes. Thanks for making my day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, scenes, uh, were there uh, scenes, some of your favorites that stood out to you? Um, I enjoyed the wedding when, when that yes. comes up, I was like, Oh, we're going to get, this is where we're going to get rom com -y. It's going to get silly at the wedding. It didn't, it was, they, they played it. That's the thing about this movie. Even when it's a crazy premise, it's all very grounded. It's all very nuanced. And I think that's a Mike Nichols thing too. That's a testament to his direction, which is why I think he deserves the accolade for it. Um, I, the thing that I liked most about Tess is desperate to get out of her world, mm -hmm. but you don't really like, you, you know, the movie just assumes we all know why, like, because you're supposed to want a better life and this is it. And of course the eighties success is the way to do that. I really dug when she goes back home for the engagement party for Sind and her husband mm -hmm. and, you know, Mick makes an ass of himself and all that stuff because I found, um, I found the juxtaposition of those two worlds very, very well done. Yes. So because, you know, you're in boardrooms, you're in meetings, you're in all these beautiful, opulent, you know, skyscraper vistas of, of New York and, and, and the harbor and all these things. That, I mean, that's of course, that's what they're showing you when they get back to that tactile bar. And I've been in that bar. You've been in that bar. I mean, not that actual one, but we've been to those places and, you know, and it's it's a little rough. And it's, you know, which makes me wonder the longevity of Jack and Tessa's relationship. How's he going to fare when we go back for the wedding on Long Island? But whatever. I cool. <laughs> um but that scene, I really, I, I felt that a fully fleshed out, like tie back to her character from the very beginning and stuff. So those, those are probably my two most, they really resonated authentically with me. Yeah. Uh, I had the wedding scene as well, written down. Um, uh, I do have to know, well, one, uh, it's great when uh, Ford, uh, well, I say Harrison Ford, but when Jack goes get the drinks and he, <laughs> He just downs both of them about how uncomfortable he is with it. Um, but also I want to say, okay, Tess, 
you're wanting to crash this wedding and you don't want to stand out and you wear white to the wedding. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was a, a little interesting. And I thought almost to a point where somebody was going to point that out, but no, but uh, maybe that's the only thing they could get uh, Melanie Griffith into that day. I don't know. So, um, and then, uh, I mean, the initial meet cute uh, at, at that office party, uh, yeah. uh, you know, that, that really stands out. I am a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? And then also we mentioned Joan Cusack, but the moment where she has to kind of pretend to be Tessa's secretary uh, yeah. is, a, is a pretty funny scene. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I like that. I also caught, and I guess this was a thing, in the 1980s, if you're a woman in the workplace and your fella comes and declares his love and y'all have a passionate kiss in front of the workforce, apparently everyone who works for you has to break out into applause and somebody, the one in front, has to scream, way to go! Because they do it in Office and <laughs> Gentleman, they do it this, and I think they do it in one other movie. I gotta tell you, number one, never seen that happen in one of my workplaces, thank goodness, because that's an HR violation right then. Yeah. I don't think applause, and I know we're not going to scream way to go, because... <laughs> I mean, we don't really say that anymore, but yeah. I digress. I When that happened, I was like, oh, geez, they did the same thing off. Okay, this is just a thing we do. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you knew this, but Whitney and I worked at the same uh, organization. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, for I was there for about five years. So anyway, uh, and we purposely... I mean, obviously, people knew us. They knew that we were married, but we tried to, as much as possible to not showcase that and you know anyway and i guarantee you if we had this type of moment in front of the our friends there uh they would not have gone way to go <laughs> like, uh, uh. somebody has a jukebox and just starts playing let the river run and you'll just walk out the door <laughs> <laughs> beautiful moments beautiful moments you should have you should have gotten a naval officer's uniform and come and shown up and carry her out on the last day okay, that's what so should have happened maybe if i had done that that maybe that maybe that would have garnered the way to go <laughs> <laughs> movie musings i'm not trying to get yourself in trouble here or i, I don't want you to you know tarnish anybody's name here but I, this movie just begs the question have you ever had a bad boss before a bad boss. Oh yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I've I've had I've had one or two. One really stands out. Not to name names. Um, I had a boss who would constantly scream, "I'm the boss." Um, and, and I mean, and not in an ironic Tony Danza esque way. Like it was more like, "You, I'm the boss. You have to do this." You have, and like, and I, my dad always told me, "You you learn you're learning every second of every day, and you're going to learn from every job you have." especially from the bad ones. And you don't understand until after the fact how much you've learned about how not to behave. And I took that lesson a lot from, from this individual. Because if you have to scream, I'm the boss, then you're not in charge of the room. And you're right. not the boss. You're, you're, you're trying to demand a loyalty that's not being given. And respect can't be demanded. It must be earned and given freely, of, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, mm, I, I spent some time in... Um, I was actually in the electrical equipment industry in 07, 08, when the housing market collapse was happening no. and that industry just got hit hard. And I saw, and I was, I was in a corporate environment and I saw some real subterfuge. I saw oh, yeah. people being set up. I saw like, you know, 
measures being taken so people would push other people in front of the well i guess i gotta let him go type thing and i was like this is not for me I, i'm not cut out for this kind of cutthroat world so i, I hightailed it out of there which boss is worse uh someone who constantly yells i'm the boss or a boss who has a mug that says world's best boss <laughs> <laughs> great question uh i don't know i mean I, I i tend to give people a wide berth but if someone's willing to demonstrate they're willing to lie, like they're actually manipulation and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I can't deal with this. Cause I have no, like, if you're inept, if you're obtuse, if you're bad social skills, all these things we can work on. If you lie, I can't help you because I never know what's real and what's not. So there's no reason me trying to build a bridge here. Cause I don't know if it's, if it's going anywhere or not. So that's right. just, that's just me. In this movie, uh, Tess says you can bend the rules plenty once you get to the top, but not while you're trying to get there. If you're someone like me, you can't get there without bending the rules. So Brandon, are you a rule follower? Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Are you a, um, are you a firstborn? No, I'm the youngest actually. Oh, okay. But I had my, it's funny. I talked about this this weekend with uh, my wife and, and we were up in Maryland with her family um, for, for an event. Um, my folks had a restaurant growing up. And so I grew up working in a restaurant and that was a great equalizer from the day I could drive a car. My brothers and I were all kind of on, the, I have two older brothers. They're twins. They're four years older than me. We were all kind of on the same footing once we could all take a shift at the restaurant and run the kitchen and that kind of stuff. So I was, I was absolutely the rule follower to the, to, I mean, my mom always said, I used to be like, we can't go, you can't put the car in reverse and back out of the driveway. You don't have your seatbelt on when I was a toddler. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. I was an annoying rule follower. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I was the kid who was like, well, Nathan, he brought, he stole rocks from the playground when we were out there, you know, and we were like, geez, McMahon, knock it off. So yeah, I was definitely a, a rule follower. That's funny. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like in that in the restaurant industry, uh, did you happen to ever? Did you watch the show The Bear? Did you have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, uh, it's on FX on Hulu. It just finished its first season. Second season starts this summer. But uh, anyway, I, I think you should check it out. And not, I don't think it'll, it'll totally relate to your situation. But it seems like anybody in that industry, uh, from what I've heard, is like. Yep, they they got it right. So yeah, you should check that out. Uh, we talked about the wedding scene. Uh, have mm -hmm. you ever crushed a wedding before? Um, I've never crashed a wedding. I've been accused of being a wedding crasher. Okay. Um, our buddy Eric's dad got remarried about ten years ago, and Eric and a couple other people our age were in the wedding um, as extra groomsmen. So long story short, when it was time to leave the church and go to the reception, everyone that was our age stayed um, at the wedding for photos. Myself, uh, past and future cast or guest host on this podcast, Kyle Radford, we went to the reception, got a beer, turned around, and it was us and a room full of 65-year-olds. And finally, this nice woman came over and she goes, are y'all crashing? Do, do you not know what this is? And I said... Yes, ma'am. We're crashing and we're here to sell you insurance. And she cracked up. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was fun. That's a great, that's a great story. I, I, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to do such a thing, but I going back to the rule following, I, I, I don't know if I could ever do it. <laughs> well, I tell you now that I've had a wedding and I know how serious those menus and like an invite is, I would never do that to somebody. I don't even, if I think I possibly for any reason couldn't make it, I'll RSVP no. 
I am very respectful of the of the wedding RSVP process now in my life. I know our RSVPs change in your life for sure once you've gone through a wedding. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just Absolutely. The, the etiquette there. <laughs> oh, and also I always pick the chicken now because I'm like, somebody has to pay for this. I'll take the cheap one. I don't like care. I mean, I'm going to make my money back on the open bar anyway. So yeah, don't buy me a steak. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. rom rankings. Right from the get-go, you kind of wondered if this was actually a romantic comedy. But uh, what do you rank the romantic chemistry between the leads here? Tess and, uh, Tess and Jack here. Tess and Jack. This was a hard one for me. I, I, I'll get to my full denouement at the end. But yeah, I'm going to give that two hearts. Okay. <laughs> on the chemistry. Yeah. Two, two, one beating proud and true, one reluctantly beating, but two hearts there. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. I'm glad, uh, man, from the get-go, I'm glad I, I've been falling in line with you because watching this movie and knowing how loved it was, uh, you know, I just kind of, I, I was like, ah, I'm not quite, you know, vibing with this movie like, you know, I, I've heard about. And so, anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I mean, not that these two characters are necessarily bad, uh, they're kind of convenient for each other, I think, but um, that is a wonderful way to put it. When <laughs> I, in fact, watching it the other night, when they turn to each other right before the boardroom, which by the way, read the room and pick, pick your moment, man. When he's like, I love you. And she goes, I love you. Yeah. I'm like, I don't really feel like we've earned this. There's this a, this a lot of feeling for not enough time or, 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 you know, spent with this, like we're jumping fast guys. So whatevs, but okay. Yeah. Um, so the second category, uh, and this might be a little controversial, but so the best, not the, not the category, <laughs> but my, my ranking at least is the best friend and uh, Joan Cusack uh, uh -huh. who plays sin. And so you kind of hit it, you know, at the top of this thing, as far as like the best, the constant bad advice that she gives her in this movie. <laughs> so I, um, uh, she's very she's very supporting that's why i do think she is good you know she's mm -hmm. there for tests like no matter like what what she decides um but uh before i get my ranking what what, what do you rate Sin? i have it i well for the reason you're talking about and for the movie almost solely puts the comedic uh you know laugh factory on joan cusack's shoulders yes um because of that, sometimes she doesn't fit. Sometimes she fits beautifully. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and she's well aware of the two worlds Tess is trying to straddle into. She's the only person that can can go with her those those places. Um, I put her at a three. Okay, I I, I liked her a lot. I didn't love her, mm -hmm. and I like me some Joan Cusack. I'm a Joan Cusack fan, yeah. except for the Toy Story films. I cannot stand that character in the Toy Story films. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, just stop it. Just stop it. Um, but yeah, I put her at three. Okay. Yeah, I gave her two and a half. More so for like the character, not Joan Cusack herself. Uh, because uh she yeah, she she's providing a lot of life in this movie, especially <laughs> to, being the counterpart to uh Tess, uh for sure. Uh so um anyway. I, once again, I was a little surprised to see the nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like even Joan Cusack probably in the moment was like, oh, okay. 
sure. <laughs> you know, um, that's going to so, up my price when I ask for another role. I'm yeah. all for it, but don't know why that's there. Absolutely, yeah. But also, I, we haven't really talked a whole lot about the style in this movie, but I'm sure this is like, I mean, we all have those like cringy photos we look back on. This has to be a movie that Joan Cusack looks back on and is like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, <laughs> they are relentless with her hair and makeup in this movie. Yeah, but think about it. four years prior to this, she was in a back brace and 16 candles. So she's probably okay with the giant wall forehead of, of teased bangs and whatnot. Very true. Very true. Uh, so the third category is the soundtrack. Um, and he made he made reference uh, to the song Let the River Run, which mm -hmm. is the opening sequence uh, of this uh, movie. It's also, I think it closes the movie as well. It's also and, the score. Yes, yes. Like when she's walking around contemplating life, you hear the doom, 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 doom. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And so it received the Academy Award for Best Original Song and the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. And so a lot of the soundtrack is composed of some Carly Simon songs. Uh, not all of them were available on Spotify. So apparently Carly Simon has a, a beef against the Spotify, I guess. So, but mm. she did some of the score. Um, also, I think the other notable songs that stand out in this movie is uh, The Lady in Red and uh, I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters. But uh, once again, I, the Let the River Run song, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it's definitely a song, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> what are you feeling? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Anything that throws in, uh, you know, lyrics about, you know, Jerusalem and. <laughs> <laughs> this movie being what it is i'm like oh that's quite a that's quite a leap but yeah they were definitely going for something there um i actually rated it very high i gave oh, okay. this one four four hearts because okay. i actually downloaded the soundtrack it's quite good okay. i was like this is a really good soundtrack i like the song let the river run i okay. will say prior to ever seeing this film like kristen's like the movie starts and she starts humming along with that song i'm like what is this She's like, this is the song for the movie. I'm like, no, Lady in Red is the song from Working Girl. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Um, so, and it that's only, they dance one time to that song and they dance for like two, three seconds of it and they move on. Yeah. Like that song is barely in this film, Lady in Red. Let the River Run is threaded throughout this. Like I said, it's the score. It's the, it bookends the film. But yeah, I dig it. I, I mean, it's the concept they're trying to make is, you know, not to go too deep into it, but they're like, you know, this is the new way of path of, of you know, bettering your life, blah, 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 blah. Cool. But I'm a Carly Simon fan. So, okay. I, you know, it, I, I, I dig it. Okay. You know, the soundtrack, it's always, I think, music is very subjective and so i personally give it two and a half but i don't at all uh mm -hmm. discredit your ranking there it's just personally for me let the river run just <laughs> makes me do the opposite i guess i don't know <laughs> so um anyway uh, okay so the fourth one uh chasing slash declaration of love so uh i i want to i want to hear your take on this one well first off let me just say i love that you put this as a category for how you're ranking rom-coms because there's always a proactive manifestation of physical attribute if it's the male he has to go do something brave and like run against traffic or something yeah, like yeah. that if it's a female she usually has to chase him down usually to the airport mm -hmm. in, a, in a rom-com so it's i'm glad that you put that staple in there i gave this one one heart oh okay and he, for both of them as aforementioned when they say, I love you in the boardroom, I'm like, mm, I don't know if I buy that. Later on, 
when he's like, I just have to know, was I part of the scheme too? And she's like, no, you think I'd say I love you just to get a deal? And I'm like, that's a valid question from Jack Trainer at this moment of our lives. Like you lied to him completely about who you are. And then you never, I mean, you just get up and walk out of the room. He hasn't seen you since. So he's like, I just have to know. And she's like, how dare you? Of course I would. What kind of person do you think I am? It's like, Tess, he doesn't know you. So I bumped hard into both scenes of the, well, of course I love you. I mean, Jack turns to integrity and said, no, she's the one who thought of this. We have to see. I'd hear her out, sir. He doesn't say, I'll follow you blindly because I love you so much. You know, I mean, they they allude that that's where it goes. And it is a rom-com. going to go to happy world land. Yeah, but yeah. both of those scenes, I was like, oh, this is not the strength of this film when these two. But again, their chemistry is a little off there, too. You know, yeah. like, she doesn't play righteous indignation very well. And he doesn't play hopeful romantic or, well, he doesn't play like wistful desperate to know you know I mean, he's still harrison ford he's like oh okay well you did love me cool you didn't that's cool those other eight women do i'm awesome you know that kind of thing so yeah, yeah I, I bumped into that scene a little bit okay yeah so i i totally i totally get what you're saying there i think i and honestly the the i love you even though that's a clear like declaration of love i I almost kind of framed it more like the the closing scenes of kind of like this one with the whole everything outside the elevator. She's leaving the office. She's got her box and uh, the way that he stands up for her in front of mm -hmm. everybody. Finally, <laughs> finally, you know, it, it takes him a bit to get there. Uh, and so I, I gave it three hearts just because I, I did. Uh, I did like this kind of end scene and how everything kind of closed together, you know, even with the uh, bony ass uh, comments and, <laughs> and things, things like that. But I do, I do think there is like the real, that, that moment where he finally does like kind of stick up for her. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, like I, I really, I really liked and uh, uh, I was interested to see like wh where it was going. Although I will say that, um, and <laughs> not to be too nitpicky with this movie, but the whole elevator situation that was happening, like I just kind of, help think of like you know the doors are conveniently closed and stay open for these moments of dialogue and everything like that i don't i don't know if he caught on to that but like there's that whole oh, yeah. thing where the, you know all the big bosses are all in that one elevator and the elevator has to stay open for like two minutes and i was like we're not going to get any kind of like accidentally you know starting to shut or some kind of <laughs> buzzing sound uh but uh, but when it's ready to go up man those doors shut quick yeah, it's, it's like, like a Star Trek set. Just, it's closed. Yeah. <laughs> but old man Trask can jump through and be like, well, let me hear you out, young lady. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and then their elevator beats Sigourney Weaver's up. I'm like, well, if I'm Sigourney Weaver, I'm like, please stop hitting the buttons. I'm obviously yeah. in the middle of a situation. Can you guys just let me get to 37 and I can, yeah. then y'all can have the elevator back. Yeah. So that bar, I, you know, actually, because I started getting into this, maybe I shouldn't rank it high because I started getting into this whole uh, mental <laughs> space. But I was like, okay, that makes a little sense that they beat her up there just because there were so many people on that elevator that she she was on yeah. but then i went back to like but it was only them two in that elevator that was like that's unrealistic too that like when they needed to go up nobody was in the elevator <laughs> so yeah anyway um it's so, a little convenient yeah as i'm talking i'm kind of 
I, myself down a little bit but i will say the, the that scene when they're in the elevator the three of them does work because her explanation of the deal is so um outside the world of business like mm-hmm. she sound it's it's perfectly in line with the character of tess she's like i was reading the variety page and i looked at the people page and i looked at this and i know about business and stuff you know I, that was a believable um, journeyman's explanation of a big business deal. So I thought I thought that scene landed very well, especially because then all of a sudden Catherine can't do it because she doesn't have yeah. an idea. She stole right. it. Yeah. But that was – and Melanie Griffith was good in that scene. That yes. scene played well for me. So, see, you're talking yourself out of it. I'm talking myself into it. That's what's <laughs> going on here. So uh, now this is one of your – wife's favorite films um and so she's rewatched a lot but uh, mm-hmm. so what do you give this as a rewatchability ranking i give it a four i oh, i've wow. enjoyed this movie i mean i don't love this movie and it's not the cultural phenomenon for me and if if you came over one day i wouldn't crack a beer and like dude i hope you like working girl because you got to watch this thing <laughs> but I've seen it now two, maybe three times and i'll see it again not i okay. mean in a year or so we'll watch it again and i'll i'll i will i'll I'll return to this movie willing and able. Just go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's watch this. Cause okay. I think that it's not, it, it's got gravitas to pull you in, but it's light and breezy enough to be where you watched over and over again and have some fun with it. I really dig the soundtrack. Not saying it's for everybody. Um, and the, the things that I bump into are quibbles. They're not necessarily like, oh, well, this is, I'm not watching this again type thing. So yeah, I give this high marks for rewatchability. Okay. So I really hope, uh, I- I don't think I've ever, I may be, have met Kristen in person before, but I really hope I'm not like on her like crap list after all this, but I gave, <laughs> I gave this rewatchability two and a half. Now okay. that said, I do think this movie is worth seeing, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like it's a good kind of, for me personally, a good one and done. I don't, I, I don't know if I would garner much more from watching it uh, again. Uh, so, and especially if you're looking for like a rom-com, um, you know, this is a solid, like two hour kind of runtime. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit heavier than probably your other type of rom-coms, but, um, sure. I, I can from, I can see it from the, uh, Harrison Ford aspect of it. And even actually the Sigourney Weaver aspect of it. I just, once again, Melanie Griffith just did not do much. For me in this and i i saw uh doing some reading that they were trying to kind of revive this story for broadway and stuff and yeah i i, I actually really saw that I, I think there's a lot of meat to this story and i think definitely i um i'm not a huge person into like remaking stuff but i could see how you could adapt this uh easily into today's world and so uh that kind of appealed to me of like uh, maybe this rewatchability would be higher if melanie griffith wasn't the person in it but um, that's fair because she's in almost every scene the whole movie is about yeah, her and yeah. so if you don't connect with her you're gonna have a rough two hours to be fair yeah i'll also add sir you're you're a sooner fan you're already dead to Kristen. i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you know make sure the world totally open and on us here um I, I didn't mention it on the recording but i think this is a, a second time we've done this uh, mm-hmm. and we are both wearing opposing uh you know rival t-shirts here yes. so yeah but <laughs>
but it shows that movies can bring you know people together. Yeah. It bridges gaps between intelligent people like myself and you. <laughs> hey, hey, no, man. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Recommendations. Anything you're watching or like uh, listening to or reading that you're really digging? Um, I'm finishing up uh, Gentleman in Moscow, which was recommended to me from my older brother. Um, I'm on the fence about it. It can. It, I've got about 50, 60 pages left, and that's where we're going to make or break it with this okay. with this book. Um, I'm really hoping because a lot of people have recommended it to me. I'm really hoping it's good. It needs to get there. Um, uh, you know, as far as a book, I will say we recently just went and saw um, Broadway in Austin did To Kill a Mockingbird, which was oh. written by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, and it was so good. And Richard Thomas played Atticus. And oh man, I loved it. I absolutely, I was enthralled for two hours and 20 minutes. Just, oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, I saw your uh, pictures uh, from that and I was extremely jealous. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool that it came to Austin. So mm -hmm. usually, like, it, we, OKC gets some shows that I know, like, you know, that Austin gets, like, they usually mm -hmm. travel between the two, but I haven't seen that on the radar uh, around here. So, I don't Bummer, think, yeah. Because yeah. it, it had, it was on its way the year COVID hit mm -hmm. because it got canceled and I was really dejected because usually when, if they don't make it, they don't come back a lot of time. So I think they made an effort to, to send that one around again. So, but yeah, it's, if you can travel to see it, it is absolutely worth it. Okay. Awesome. Um, I, I'm excited to kind of recommend this to you because I'm, I'm just going out on a limb here, but were you a fan of Saturday Night Live in the 90s? Just a, just a smidge. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Awesome. So if anybody was, I think they would appreciate this, but um, for a long time, Conan O'Brien has his own podcast. It's Conan, mm -hmm. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. And lately they've been doing kind of a little series and it's the lost Hans and Franz movie. So apparently him and Smigel uh, co-wrote this movie that never got developed. Uh, but they basically right now there's three parts out uh three parts out uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, so I don't know how many ultimately will be, but man, it is, <laughs> if, if you were a fan of like the Billy Madison movies or the Wayne's world movies, it's like listening to one of those movies, but new now it, com <laughs> it completely makes sense. Why this movie was not ever developed or made, <laughs> but um, I mean, just hearing, uh, just hearing Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon do these characters again. And, you know, so they read a little bit about the movie but then they talk about it as well uh so i i would suggest that it's a really it's a really fun listen yeah i love that podcast i will absolutely check that out yeah it's it's delightful <laughs> so um so next week we will be talking about one of my favorite movies and it's uh number five on this best rom-coms list and it's uh jerry mcguire so brandon thoughts quick thoughts on that movie I'm a huge fan. I already referenced the show me the money in, in yeah. this episode here too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was honestly, I hadn't seen probably say anything at that part of my life. Cause I think that came out when I was like 14, 15, mm -hmm. that was my introduction to Cameron Crowe. Yeah. And so I loved it and I was, and then after that came almost famous and then after, and so I was like, Oh man, this guy's a genius. So yeah, I loved Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to talk about that movie. And if anything, give me another reason to watch that movie. So check that out next week. <laughs> uh, and so as always, you can visit our website, moviesyourlife.com for all our episode reviews and more. You can find the other episode Brandon was on where we talked about a much different movie. Heat. 
<laughs> so, uh, so you can go find that episode, listen to it. I think that was a really fun discussion. Um, if you love this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it. This really helps with us finding new listeners. So uh, thanks again, Brandon, for being a guest on this. And uh, I just want to encourage everybody once again to check out and subscribe to his podcast, Second Best Picture. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It was great. Yeah. Thanks again to everybody for listening. And remember, don't fetch coffee for someone unless you're getting some for yourself.